Hello and welcome back to the Please Be Seated podcast. Today we've got a very different style of interview as um, I'm joined today by Todd Burpo. Todd, could you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Uh, I'd like to say hello to everyone in England. My name is Todd Burpo. I'm the author of Heaven is for Real, but most people, uh, when they talk to me or they want to know who I am, uh, kind of refer to me as Colton's dad. Uh, it's been it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm, I'm grateful for this chance to speak to you. Um, so... For our listeners may be aware, there was a 2014 adaptation of your story starring Greg Kinnear and Kelly Riley. And um, so for, to stick with the film review format of this show, we'll be going through some of the content of that film and comparing it to sure, your absolutely. life story. Um, so could you tell our audience very briefly as to what Heaven is for Real is about? Well, Heaven, Heaven is for Real talks about my, my family and a lot of our uh, our the discoveries we made and the struggles we went through and my son almost died uh, when he was just right before he turned four he, he got really sick and so did his sister uh, so the doctors thought that he, they must have had a stomach flu because they both got sick at the same time but his sister got better and he didn't and uh, comes to find out five days later he'd had a ruptured appendix and so by the time you know the doctors did a CT scan and looked at him and, and found out what was really wrong with him his whole body was septic, and he had to have emergency surgery. And uh, that surgery was not only incredibly painful for us, but he was in the hospital for like 17 days, and they never thought he was going to survive. They never thought he was going to live. Um, for my wife and I, those were the 17 hardest days we've ever had. And then when we got out of the hospital, my, my, a bunch of people came together in my town and prayed at my church, and miraculously... At that moment, uh, my, 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 my son was touched, and he got better, and the doctors, they were astounded. But we didn't realize how big the answer to prayer was, and gradually my son started talking about heaven, some of the things he saw in heaven, the people he met in heaven, what heaven's like. And this whole story about what my wife and I went through and what my son started revealing to us is what Heaven is for Real is all about. Um, I will say... Normally, as a Christian and as a filmmaker, I tend to have a problem with a lot of Christian films, and I find they've got a sense of cheesiness. But with Heaven is a Real, there wasn't that, and it took me a no. while to try and figure out what it was. But I think it was the fact that your story also focused a lot on the backlash and the response to your story, and it wasn't water-coated. Uh, that's not the phrase. I can't think what the phrase is. Yeah. It wasn't sugar-coated. Um, and, and it sort of showed the sort of true side as to how people responded to it, and I made it a, no a lot more personal. Um, so when were you first approached about the film adaptation? Well, I, I think it took like three years uh, before when I signed the initial contract with Sony before the, the film came out. So that would have probably been sometime in 2011. And uh, from what I understand, and I was told three years from funding, planning, writing, production, and then putting it on screen is a really fast pace for a film. I had nothing to compare it with, but that's what our process took. I say, and the fact that it stuck stuck with Sony as well is quite good because quite often you hear of people's stories being passed between studios and stuff. So there must have definitely been a major want to get your story told. Um, do you believe that Greg Kinnear portrayed you well for the film? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I people who knew me back then said, you know, Greg Kinnear did did incredible. People who know me today, they're kind of like, I'm not so sure. And it's like, well, you know, I've kind of grown since then. I think, you know. Greg Kinnear did a great job of capturing who I was because obviously what happened to my son happened back in 2003. This is 16 years later. Uh, we've accepted it. We've grown through it. We, we understand it. We don't question it anymore. Now, we still answer people's questions. We talk to them about it. But Greg Kinnear, I think, did a really good job of capturing who I was when I struggled with this. And, and I think people who meet me and talk to me today – you know, we all grow or, or, or we get worse, and, and, and they, they see a person in me that's 16 years more mature. But uh, working with him and seeing the work he did, I was very impressed, very grateful. Um, so is Greg Kinnear a Christian, or was it? He is. When I spoke to him um, and I asked him, I said, you know, how did you agree to, to play me, you know, a guy by the name of Burpo in a film? And, and he told me that, well, this is how it happened. Uh, his wife saw his... Uh, uh, casting call or the request for him to, to play this part on his desk and he said well she came over to me says you're gonna do this walked over to my uh, I guess somewhere in the room and in, in his office pulled out a yellow book came and brought it in front of him she says I love I love this book you're gonna play this part so um, 
so I guess even Hollywood actors, you know, they learn that happy wife, happy life. You know, they they're there too. That's because he's done um, at least another Christian film, hasn't he? Since so, I suppose that that is a genre that he's exploring. Um, so to go into the film, we open with um, the little girl. Is it Akane painting Jesus? I really yeah. don't get her name pronounced wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How she pronounces it is Akiana, and Akiana Kramerik is her name. And uh, when she was four years old, four years old as well as Colton, she saw visions, and so her story is completely different. But that's when she started seeing visions, and later on, she really felt like she wanted to uh, uh, paint, uh, you know, a portrayal of Jesus and, and and who she saw. And for me, you know, as a pastor, Colton would talk to me about Colton's face and his eyes and how beautiful they were, and and he'd talk about the marks on his hands and feet, and he'd he'd talk about how Jesus was the only one that wore purple, but it really bothered me, you know, because he'd sit there and say, well, Dad, when I pray, I know who I'm talking to. And I was like, I want to know who I'm talking to. Can <laughs> can you tell me more? So I would take him to painting after painting, you know, in churches, nursing homes, whatever, um, representations of Christ. And he'd always say, oh, Dad, that's not right. And, I, I, and so finally I was like, okay, what's wrong with this picture? And, well, in I think it was 2006 maybe, we saw a CNN documentary uh, that uh, – Glenn Beck did with Akiana Kramerik, and I showed Colton for the first time, he had never seen it before, the painting, Prince of Peace, that she drew of Jesus, and Colton just froze. He just stood there and looked at it. And I'm like, well, Colton, well, what's wrong with this painting? And he just looks at it. He doesn't even say anything. I'm like, well, Colton, are you going to talk to me? And he looked at me and said, Dad, that's right. This one's right. Uh, and I, I suspected, you know, after the book, especially after the movie, I'd have all kinds of people call me. And so I saw Jesus, and that's not what he looks like. And I think I've had one. I've had thousands of people say that's exactly what he looks like. So uh, I'm even more convinced today uh, than I was when we made them film that that that, that painting is an incredible uh, representation of what Jesus really looks like. So I suppose one thing that they did change in the film then was the length of time before you found out, discovered the picture, because in the film it's pre-Colby, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when, when you're telling a story, and like Heaven is Real, I think, lasts right around an hour and 45 minutes, you know, you, you have to compress time because you have characters, you've got casting, who's playing the parts, and so you got you kind of pick your main themes. And um, so, yeah, so time is compressed in the movie, but the facts and the stories, the conflicts, the issues we dealt with, uh, Randall Wallace was the writer and the director and did a, did a very, very good job. I, I mean, I was surprised. When I, when I knew all these difficulties they had to deal with and, I was questioning myself, how are they going to make this work and, and make it work well? But uh, ended up doing a great job. Um, so then we move to, it's, it's going to be weird to say Todd talking about the character of you and not you, yeah. but they will try. We move to Todd's narration about um, heaven whilst fitting a garage door, training a basketball team. And so we just sort of see... A wrestling team. <laughs> wrestling yeah, team. I, I was always a wrestling coach, not a basketball. I'm pretty short. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I must have, I think I think that was just a note I added very briefly, so I'm glad we've yep. read that. Do you, do you still do um, the garage door stuff and the wrestling stuff? or? Well, um, I moved to Colorado just a couple of years, so I haven't coached wrestling since then, but my youngest son's still wrestling, so I'm out, I'm at practices, I'm helping him sometimes. I still do garage doors. Uh, now I don't run my own garage door business, I get to work for someone else, and I think I really enjoy that better, but I, I still do garage doors three days a week. Uh, I'm a firefighter still. I, I uh, ride a fire truck one day a week, and now one day a week I'm a chaplain for the sheriff's department here in uh, uh, Eagle County, and uh, just started that. And uh, looking forward to, to working more with the, the local officers and being a support and a connection to pray with them and for them. And so that's that. And then I still travel and speak for Heaven is Real as well. I guess I see you are very very busy so i really appreciate you finding the time for this <laughs> well you know it you know being busy is is good i think you know god made us to do things and that's one of the things that colton says about heaven he says dad in heaven you don't sit on a cloud and play a harp like the cartoon show you you got stuff to do everyone's busy god god has things for you to do and um, so i'm looking forward to that part of heaven i i know uh, I, I enjoy to be productive down here so that's something in heaven i'm going to enjoy to be doing as well um so to move a little bit um, forward, we see Todd and Colton going into the hospital to pray for a dying man. Um, so is that something that commonly happened between you and Colton? Well, you know, when when Colton was probably um, 
a little bit older as you got older. Um, when, when you go into nursing homes and the hospitals, it's amazing how the, the elderly just light up when you bring a kid in the room. And he was very comfortable coming with me. And as he would come into the room, he would sit there, he would talk to him, people would talk to me. And, and obviously as a pastor, I was invited to, to many hospital rooms. And I, I was a, stood beside many deathbeds as people were dying and prayed with them and tried to, uh, to give comfort for the family. And, and all my kids, Colton, my daughter Cassie, my youngest son Colby, they've, I've, I've just taken them along with me. And, and very much was he there many times. Um, and what I really liked was the when we uh, move on to you preaching a sermon um the line in the unicorn story and i especially watching it today i just finished listening to the sermon about the angel in the furnace and so the the parallels there were really sort of present um in that story mm-hmm. having not gotten to that part of the book in my reread was that a part the lion and the unicorn a part of your story or was that something that was added in well, that was something that Randall Wallace used. Uh, he's a big C.S. Lewis fan, and that comes from, I think, uh, C.S. Lewis. Um, but the thing is, you know, I, you know, many people have commented on my preaching. Matter of fact, it was like uh, I just came back from Germany and, uh, and spoke there, and I was on a 10-day trip. And people are like, well, you're a lot better preacher than you look like in the movie. And I'm like, well, I'm, well the grateful, I, I was thankful for that. But, uh, you know, I, I was a very biblical preacher. Stories out of the Bible, but I tell stories all the time. But if I had known something, you know, I wasn't aware of that story till afterwards. That was a big story to, to Randall Wallace. Uh, I didn't use that from the pulpit personally, but I, it sure sounds like a story I, I could have definitely tied in very well. But I would, you know, very much, I'm a Bible-based preacher, and there's so many wonderful stories from the Bible. I would use them just like that that story all the time. And I think a, a brilliant part in terms of, just uh, to the next note, in terms of the the act and the structure of the film, is we then see Sonia giving Michael and Rosa the little girl's dress. Whereas obviously this being, you know, a major part of the story, it's weird to talk about the acts and the structure. But in, it, I feel like it really mm-hmm. um, fits within the sort of filmmaking idea of if you see a gun in Act One, it's fired by Act Five. And I feel like that is sort of present with the uh, with the dress, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think you know that they're doing some foreshadowing. They're they're maybe putting pieces there that people don't understand to begin with, but it you know comes out later. Um, you know, one of the things that the movie, if there's anything I think that the movie kind of misrepresents, is the time frame of when Sonya really accepted everything Colton was saying and knew it was true too. Uh, but it was true that when when he came in and said, "Mommy, you had a baby die in your tummy, didn't you? I have two sisters," and then when she explained that, and she she heard that and she started and he started telling her about this baby and, and who she was and obviously Sonya knew at that point in time everything here her son was saying was true but that part of the movie is very true because Sonya you know it touched a hurt in her life that we had tried to move on and I think there's a lot of ladies that suffer through a miscarriage and they don't know how to talk about it and you can look into the Bible and the Bible's silent on what happens to miscarried children so you can't get a maybe. I mean, we trust God. We know what God said. The babies are formed in the womb. We know life begins at conception. Uh, I don't care what the courts say or what governments say. God says life begins in the womb, and we knew that. But what happens to that child when it's not born? And um, when Colton started talking about his sister, boy, my wife obviously it touched a deep hurt in her life. And I think uh, th- that's one of the biggest and probably most important healing places in our movie and in our book for people. And so them foreshadowing uh, uh, that that knowledge, that information, that hurt in her heart that she was carrying, I think really helps a lot of ladies that are carrying that same hurt probably sometimes quietly and secretly like she was. It is sort of a sign that Sonia's trying to move on at this state. And, and get yeah. So that the fact that it sort of comes back, I think, is great. Uh, yeah, it, it is wonderful. We've got you breaking your leg in baseball. And I think the whole this yeah. whole period of all of the of the broken leg and the kidney stones and the cancer scare, which isn't uh, portrayed in the film, I don't think, is it? No, the cancer um, scare left out. But yeah, I had a, I had a really tough, <laughs> tough year that year. Um, I think it's the, the sort of perfect example of what I've always said to people, people who sort of struggle with, um, with faith and the idea of a God. I sort of always talk about the idea that God never said life was going to be easy. You know, no. the, the, the times when 
Joseph was closest to God was when he was in prison accused of a rape he didn't do and I think that's yeah it's, it's the idea that you know in in suffering comes closeness and oh uh, I absolutely I think more. in faith you know one of the things that we don't understand you know the Bible talks about us getting to know God and you can you can grow your relationship God and your faith can grow in who God is and what God's nature is can I trust him and absolutely, that's faith. But here's here's the thing that a lot of people try to do, and this isn't faith, and this is where they this is where they cause their own doubts. Well, this is what I want God to do. And if God doesn't do what I want, then I'm not going to have faith in him. And that's not faith at all. That's not trusting. Uh, but can I trust God's nature? Uh, can he be there with me? I think many times the Bible says he'll walk through us, you know, through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll be there in our hardest times. But he doesn't say he's going to just swoop in and take him away from us either. He he never promises that. I think <laughs> I think for a lot of people there needs to be almost a defining moment in their faith to sort of um, trigger it. Like I, I don't talk so much about my faith on this podcast, so I will. This story is definitely not one that I have told before. Um, which is the fact that I was brought up a Christian. I grew up a Christian. I felt like I was, but mm-hmm. it wasn't until um, last year when I went to uh, Soul Survivor. I don't know how well Soul Survivor is known in the states, but. Um, I went to a sort of church camp event called Soul Survivor, yeah. and it was just there was one time when the, all the when the Holy Spirit was allowed into the room and just these people yeah. laughing and crying around you and me sort of shaking uncontrollably. It was that sort of moment where I was like, "This isn't just the faith I was brought up in. This is my faith." And I think yeah, exactly. for a lot of people, like they need a sort of moment, a sort of thing for their faith to to come in at. Um, well, I agree with you, Luke. I tell people all the time. You know, I'm not here to defend God. He doesn't need defending. But I'm not, and, and, and I'm here to hopefully share hope from our story of what happened to you. But what you need for you is for you to meet God yourself. I think people become Christians not because their parents take them to church. Now, I, I obviously being a pastor, you know, worshiping and being a part of church has been a big part of my life. But the moment they really become Christians is when they meet God for themselves whether it's through a miracle, whether it's through him just talking to them, the Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts, something like you experienced, that's the moment they realize God is for real. Um, so, yeah, you go through um, the broken leg and the kidney stones, and um, we've got a sort of comic scene of the other preachers being uh, tried out while you're yeah. away. Is that something that was a problem at the time, the other preachers? Well, uh, the... actually, you know, we didn't have people come in. I think... Uh, you know, Randall Wallace was kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. He went to seminary to be a minister himself before he went on to, uh, uh, what shall we say, God led him or somehow he felt like he, he was supposed to tell stories and film. And at the same time, I know he told me that I've been waiting my whole life to make heaven this real. I mean, so there's many things that he saw. And when he saw me as kind of like a small town, but a Bible-based preacher and and he'd seen so many other things, but he saw me as practical and real. I think he really wanted to show a difference, you know, uh, not so much in, in, in who I was, but who I wasn't and what I wasn't like. And so I think that's why he put uh, that in there. I guess it's the same way that I, as a, I mean, I'm, I'm 15, I haven't got, you know, major strides in the future. But I, I do a lot of filmmaking and I've felt a calling to make a good Christian British film because I yeah. can't think of any. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm sure there are some out there, but it's it's something like yeah. that, and I suppose that's a, to to a larger extent what uh, Randall Wallace experienced, and his style of sort of coming from sort of I wouldn't say non-Christian films, but films that are not yeah. faith-based. I think that was another thing that took that didn't have the cheesiness of your typical American Christian movie. It was the fact that it it was a filmmaker who was a Christian making the film, not a Christian yes. trying to be a filmmaker. And I think that's yeah, absolutely different. And you know, when not only him, but he, when it came to the cinematography, they were they were he brought on several Oscar award-winning people that helped make this film. I mean, God assembled incredible professionals, you know, to, to make this and want to do this. I was going to say uh, like, the I director know, of photography was amazing from watching yeah, it today. I, when, when I was arguing with God. It's like, God, you know, I can't trust Hollywood with my story. I mean, they serve almighty dollar. They don't serve you. I mean, they, they have a different agenda than I have. And he was like, God, you know, I, I remember the words that God spoke to me. He says, I'm going to teach you that I'm bigger than Hollywood. I just need you to trust me. And how he assembled the people from Randall Wallace to the actors to the little boy that played my son. 
miracle after miracle, God wanted this film not only to get out there, but to be what it was. And, and, and he, he helped it every step of the way. And it's also the... It isn't the film going, wow, look how wonderful God is. It's so matter-of-fact about, yes, this is God, this is what he does, and this is how it... Yeah. And, and that, that I think that's the other thing, because so much, at least for me, when I watch a Christian film, I automatically think about how an atheist or an agnostic would view the film and what it would... and whether it would help them develop in faith or whether it would hinder it. And I feel like Heaven is Real is one of those films which would help. Oh, yeah, I... One of the things that... Randall wrote into the script, which I thought was genius. Um, he, he took off something that happened in real life, and he, he kind of twisted it just a little bit. So uh, he, he invited people that aren't Christians or people that are sitting there wondering and questioning. He, he allowed them to stay in the room, and he, he validated their, uh, their viewpoints by me going and talking to the psychiatrist. You might remember that scene in the film. Yeah. Uh, what happened in real life was when my son started uh, sharing and talking about all these, these things. I went back to the doctor, Dr. Holler, and the surgeon. I asked him, did, did my son flatline during surgery? And, and I started asking him questions. And he's like, why are you asking me these questions? And I'm like, well, my son's telling me just amazing things about heaven and what he saw while he was in surgery. And, and you never told me you lost him during surgery. And he's like, you need to listen to your son. And all of a sudden, this <laughs> surgeon started telling me about all – all other types of experiences, of near-death experiences he's had. And so unlike the movie, you know, the psychiatrist, she kind of casted doubt. Well, maybe it was this. Well, maybe it was that. What happened in real life was the surgeon was like, you better start listening, Dad, because this is real. I mean, that's how the surgeon reacted to me. But when I told Randall about that conversation, I think he, he had me, he created this character of the psychiatrist to let those people who believe those things to say, okay, we're not going to shun you. You can sit yeah. here. You can have these thoughts, but please stay in the movie. It's okay. And I thought it was wonderful. The pivotal part for me during the psychiatrist scene was, yes, Colton might have known that you'd be praying, but I think the whole yelling aspect, like that that's the thing that possibly would not be explained. Like, I mean, obviously oh, I yeah. don't know you, but I feel like he, he wouldn't have an image of you yelling and getting angry with God. He'd have an image oh, yeah. in the other way. And I think that was one of the things. Definitely. Um, so yeah. then... Um, uh, the Burpos travel over to Denver, and we've got the scene in the Coliseum. Um, and I and I love the fact that this part of the story was kept because, like, it's it's mm-hmm. a part which in the book just always sort of sends you know tingles in the hairs of the back of your neck because it's just sort of yeah. so sweet and wholesome, really. Yeah, you know, it, it was kind of sad. You know, that that whole going to the Butterfly Pavilion and then holding Rosie. You know, that happened the day he started throwing up. And, and we never made a trip back. But I remember challenging that day. He he wanted to get a sticker like his sister, but it was like, well, well, Colton, you you got to hold her. He's like, I don't want to hold her. I go, well, if you want to get a sticker, you, that's what you got to do. And he finally went up there and let that big old huge Goliath spider crawl across his hand. And and, and I did it with him. I, I know in the movie it shows I didn't, but I actually did it too because I was coaxing him into it. But I never could get mom to do it. You know, we've been back. We've we've done it again, obviously. And and uh but yeah so far mom's like uh-uh no way <laughs> so it's just that part of the story that was adapted for the film then the it split into oh, two what, trips but where we were there you know we went we went to the uh the butterfly pavilion and where we held that spider it, that was the day he got sick we were leaving to celebrate the end of my uh my testing we thought with the kidney stones the cancer all that was over and that's when we got just gut punched sucker punched because little did I know, a few days later, I'd be praying for my son's life. Um, so then we've got, as you said, Colton and Cassie get sick, and Colton stays unwell, and we've yeah. got him getting rushed into hospital. Like You, you talk in the book about the first um, series of tests saying that it isn't appendicitis. Yeah. Um, so, um, so obviously that was, I assume, taken out for time. Um, yeah. There was another, there was yeah, a we had a, we, had, we had a lot of struggles and we had a lot of difficulty. You know, the one of the things that the uh, the movie doesn't show is how long we were in the hospital. And probably the hardest thing, you know, for us to watch, you know, is when he's being wheeled away and, and taken back to surgery. You know, there's parts of the movie that part, uh, him talking about his sister. My wife gets up and leaves, and she she'll go out and she'll text me and she says, "Is that part over? Then I can come back in." Because <laughs> She, she to this day can't watch that stuff and, and, and keep her composure. I mean, she falls apart. 
but when when uh, my son was taken away in real life, he was still awake and he was screaming at me, "Daddy, don't let him take me! Daddy, this hurts! Daddy, make him stop! Daddy, why aren't you helping me?" And and I'm just sitting there, just falling apart. Because see, I was in tears the other day on the bus while I was reading the book, so I can't imagine yeah. how um, how sort of rough that must be to sort of see it back in front of you. Um, yeah. Well, you know the thing the thing too that uh, uh, Colton said. I remember when he was 11. That's when the book came out and. I said, Colton, you know, we've talked about heaven many, many, many times, and you have to read the book so you know the conversations that people are asking about when they talk to you. So eventually I had to make him read the book, and I told him, well, you got to read five chapters a day until you get it done before school starts. And so he was on the second day. First day went like I thought. The second day I told him you need to start reading the book. And it was just him and I in the house at the moment. I could hear someone in the kitchen, so I knew he wasn't downstairs anymore reading the book. So I went in the kitchen, and I'm like, Colton, there's no way you read five chapters yet. What are you doing? And he, he's not he's turned away from me. He's making a sandwich in the kitchen. He's looking away to the wall and he won't turn around. I said, Colton, what are you doing? You're you're not done reading it. And he turns around, he's got tears coming down his eyes, and he's just crying. And he's like, Dad, I just read chapter eight. And that was the chapter of me. So I did, and I forgot. I, I forgot. You know, while I was experiencing heaven, it was so good. I forgot how hard this was on you and mom. And he was just sitting there crying. It was like, yeah, the son, this was terrible. And uh, I'll never forget that. When he read it, too, he was like, Dad, I remember. That's the truth, but I, I forgot how much this hurts you. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, um, and obviously Colton was involved later on, wasn't he, with the children's version of the story yeah he did he wrote um he helped uh you know heaven is thrill for kids and that was the book we always wanted to do first and uh for some reason you know no publisher would take it and then after uh heaven is thrill the adult story came out then obviously our publisher said well we want to do that book too now but i always thought you know here's a kid who can tell other kids what he experienced in heaven you know, that's the book that I always felt should have been written mm. first, but it, it came second. But I'm just so grateful we got to write that book because kids, when I was a kid, I'd ask my mom about heaven. And she'd say, well, the streets are gold. And who cares about the color of the streets? You know, and she'd say, well, the gates are pearl. As a kid, that meant nothing to me. But what Colton talks about in Heaven is Real for Kids, how they played, the angels he saw, the people he saw, the things he did. I mean, this is the book and the messages that Jesus gave him to tell their to, to the kids he went to school with in heaven. He, he also tells kids when he talks to them that school's inescapable. You have to go even in heaven. But in heaven, you know, uh, Jesus is your teacher. And he goes, That's my, that was my favorite thing. <laughs> um, and obviously you talk about in the, in the film and I believe in the book about, you know, how it was very little time he was up there, but a day, a thousand years and a thousand years a day. Um, yeah. So... Are, are you still uncovering stuff um, from Tolton, from Colton's stories, or is it has it all well, sort of come out? Not so much today. I mean, what he remembers is still pretty much the same, but most of his memories are intact. Only a few have faded because we've talked about it so much. But I think too, uh, you know, I'm 51. Colton's just now 20. But when you look back at uh, what you remember as a small child, my my earliest remembers are things that's memories are things that scared me really bad or things I really enjoyed. And well, he saw heaven. I mean, <laughs> you're not going to enjoy anything more than that. And then he almost died. I mean, how can you be more afraid than that? And so, you know, his story is about some of the greatest fears and some of the greatest enjoyment you can ever have. So I think that's helped cement a lot of these memories into his brain. And I, want, I, I can't imagine what the jump from heaven back to earth <laughs> would be like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he's been mad at me. Uh, we've had to work through that. He's like, Dad, you prayed me back. And, you know, he, he talks about how Jesus sent him back because he was answering my prayer. And there's times where Colton's been mad at me for that. He's like, Dad, I wanted to stay. Uh, I could have stayed, but you prayed me back. And, and we've had to work through that together. I, I, the only thing I could tell him is, well, I'm the dad. I'm supposed to die first. You need to wait till I go. Then you can go. Um, but I but I'm so grateful that God answered that prayer. So has Colton sort of embraced the 
Heaven is Real Ministries program and things like that, is he involved a lot in sharing the story, or is it mostly? He is. Um, matter of fact, he travels with me quite a bit. Uh, you know, right now, just being you know college age and school age and stuff like that, it's hard sometimes. Uh, but you know, he'll Skype. Uh, he'll he'll travel with me. He'll he'll do interviews with me too at times, uh, depending on different places we go. And now that he's getting older, he's obviously close to twenty. Uh, his mother is a, <laughs> a lot more. Uh, I don't know. She she allows him to do more on his own because he's not an 11 or 12 year old anymore, you know. But you can probably imagine when you you look on the internet, all the lies and hateful things. Matter of fact, there's this huge, huge uh, uh, heretical lie about him now that he made up his story and he recanted. That's a totally different person that did that, and a lot of people just swear up and down that that's him, and he never had anything to do with that. Because and I heard that a couple of times, and it wasn't until I researched it further that it was like, there's nothing yeah. supporting it. We, we we don't even know the family that did that. We have no connection to the other book. And we'll we'll, we'll reach out to people. And we, we had a, a big Hollywood thing, you know, uh, movie critic bash Heaven is Real because he said the boy recanted his story just this summer. And we told him, that's not us, and you need to print a retraction, and he refused to. So not only do people bash him, but they refuse even when they're confronted with the truth. They don't care. You know, you know this whole fake news thing we've been experiencing way before Donald Trump ever came around. Believe me. Um, so we've obviously talked quite a bit about the time with Colton in hospital. Um, so then in the film we see um, Colton going back to hold um, Rosie the Spider, which you said, you know, took place. That was that. that was all a one day thing at the front of it. Yeah. Um, so where were you when he first told you about the angels singing to him? Um, and well, what we, were, and we, were, we were we were we were actually in our car. So. Um, you know, they have a scene where we're driving in the car, you know, <laughs> and uh, but uh, we were in our car going on a trip and we went back to the town where we were driving through the town where Colton had his surgery. And we said, Colton, you want to go back to the hospital? He says, no, Dad, I don't want to go back. Send Cassie. But then he says, but you know, Dad, the angels, they sang to me while I was there. And that's where we had that conversation about what they were like. Why did they, what did they sing to him? Why did they sing to him? He said, well, Jesus had them sing to me because it was, I was scared and it really helped me calm down. And, and I'm like, Jesus was there too? And he's like, oh, well, yeah, Dad, I was sitting on his lap. And so, but that conversation happened in the car. So that scene where you see us as a family riding in the car, that's where that started. Um, and so it was sort of so matter-of-fact to him at that age then. It was, it, oh, it was. It was like, well, this is what they sang and this is why... And, I'm looking at his mom. Has he ever talked to you about angels before? And she's looking at me. Her eyes are real big. She's like, no, he's never said anything to me about angels. And Yeah, so that's where that's where our, our awakening began, if you will. And I, I love the whole sort of the, the, the childlike naivety with, you know, wanting them to sing We Will Rock You. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was kind of funny because, yeah, he, he told me, well, Dad, they wouldn't sing that. They said that was a bad song. So, <laughs> so, so in heaven... You know, there were several times that Colton asked for things and he was told no. So, you know, a lot of people dream of heaven where you get everything you want. Now, you're going to get everything that God wants you to have. Mm. But what you want, if it's still wrong, guess who's in charge? It's not you. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the idea that you've sort of still got partial free will and, you know, human wants and needs in heaven is yeah. quite a, an interesting one. Um. So we then see a version of Colton's image of heaven in the film. Yeah. Uh, how did Colton respond to the representation within the film? Well, you know, heaven, that was that was the big thing that, how do you represent heaven? And obviously he didn't go back into the church and what he saw, you know, he left the hospital, an angel flew him to heaven. Um, and so that was the most difficult thing for the filmmakers to do. I mean, how do you represent heaven? Matter of fact, in the, the children's book where an illustrator took his images and kind of, and he directed the illustrator as he was coloring these scenes and some of the things he saw, you'll probably see a much more accurate representation of the heaven that Colton remembers in, in the children's book than he will in the movie, because it was just so impossible for them to, to represent heaven the way he saw it. Um, so we've got the, the counselor scene shortly after which we've um, talked about. Yeah, we spoke about that one, yeah. And then we've got you asking Jay for advice. Um, was that a, a part of real life? Well, I think, you know, for me, there was a struggle with a lot of people because, 
you know, what if the pastor is struggling with something in a church? No one wants to talk to the pastor. You know, the pastor is supposed to be the person that you can confide in. He's the one that's supposed to have answers for you. But what if the pastor has questions? I found it incredibly difficult to talk to people about my son's experience because nobody wanted to go there. They were like, okay, let's just talk about something different. Okay. Or I had people come up to me in town all the time. You know what your son said to me? And, okay, what did he say? Because he talked about heaven and what he saw, and they didn't know what to make of it. But at the same time, too, um, so many times I had people um, – they didn't know what to say. And then when I told them some of the things my son shared, you know, what's interesting is the people that I probably had the best conversations and the best feedback from were other wrestling coaches. We would we'd travel on a bus nights, you know, or long hours in the morning and nights after tournaments. And they wanted to hear and they wanted to talk. And But I had probably better and deeper conversations with them than I could get out of some of my church people. Um, so then we've got... Um, people asking you in a church uh, in the church about Colton. So it was was it about that point in the story where people were you know asking questions and getting a lot more involved and wanted to find out about it. And the the church's response was it as varied as it seems to be in the film. Well, you know it. Uh, people in church, you know, I, I this is probably a bad thing to say, but here's the truth of it: they want they want to hear about themselves. Yeah. They they don't want to hear about something else or something that God did for someone else. Pastor, what are you what are you going to do for me that I need this week? And so they dismissed it. They wanted to go on, but as it unfolded, as I shared things, the place where we talked about it the most was at funerals. In a small town, everyone shows up to a funeral. In a city, you know, very few people attend funerals, but businesses will close in a small town because everyone knows everybody. And you'll you'll go up to the business well coming back after so and so's funeral. And um, but that's when people wanted to talk about heaven. That's when family members would ask me to share some. Like, hey, we've heard some about what your son's been saying, and, and and so many times when I spoke about at funerals, that's when I got to talk about heaven because that's when people wanted to listen. But unfortunately, I guess in America, you know, the, the the church culture is such that well, we don't really want to talk about life and death until we're faced with it. And I wish we could talk about heaven all, all the time. Yeah. Um. So we've got the scene then when the press want to interview Colton, and yeah. this is about the point where he comes out about uh, Jesus having markers, um, and I think that's another thing about the the sort of childlike naivety, the idea that he couldn't he couldn't have made that up because he didn't have the understanding mm-hmm. of what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you you could tell we weren't defining it for him. We weren't trying to tell him what he was trying to say. Yeah. Um. And this is the point in the film where he first tries to describe what Jesus looked like and struggles to find a picture. Yeah. And there's then the conversation and the idea that what if his image of Jesus is based on him, his image of you and Sonia? Was that a conversation that you had? Well, I think many times, you know, we talked about it because his, as he would try, try to describe Jesus, you know, uh, he did, as you can tell what I look like, you know, his, his description of Jesus looked nothing like mine, like me. So, um, you know, how, how kids and people, I think what's interesting to me is uh, how many people from different races and different uh, backgrounds have their own version. And, and and there's a point where when it comes to faith, does God value us all? Absolutely. and He made us all. But eventually someone's got to be right. Not everybody can be right, you know. And so uh, that's why us finding out, you know, his confirmation of the, the Prince of Peace picture was so important for us. Um. So we then uh, see a scene where Jesus shows and introduces Colton to his other sister, um, which obviously doesn't really come back until later on. I don't think it's even said in the film as to who she is at this point. Um, So then you and Sonja go out for a meal, and the church Mm -hmm. uh, talk with you about where they are as a church. And, I mean, the the meeting that Hal portrayed in the film, it really felt very sort of real um to me like i mean for a long time my parents were part of the leadership of our church here and like from what from the glimpses i've seen of the meetings it felt very sort of raw and real as to how the presentation was and really sort of presented the concerns of the church which as i said i think is is brilliant because the film isn't isn't Colton went to heaven tells everyone it's all great it's all a happy story you know there there are people who have still got their problems got their issues with the story and i think it's great that that's portrayed in the film yeah, you know, I think, you know, um, 
some people like you say, they, when we don't understand something, our first human reaction is don't talk about it. Just move on. You know, just stop this and go on. And we had a lot of that. Um, that that meeting didn't a- actually unfold just like it showed in, in in the film, but in real life, a similar meeting went way worse than that. Let me tell you. Uh, so, so I'll say this: the movie was nice to my church. There you go. <laughs> um, and I think the the other side of things is the fact that the film doesn't tell the audience what to believe about it. The film no. presents it as it is, and it leaves the audience to decide whether they've got their own explanation as to it, or whether, you know, whether they believe what you and Sonia and Colton and some yeah. of the church believe there. And I think that's great. The fact that it's not force feeding the audience, this is it. It's saying this is what this is what he said. You know, what's yeah. take your own um, way out. And I think, I think that's the issue that comes often with. Um, there's a lot of sort of low budget Christian films which are preachers having a go at filmmaking, where they often force feed <laughs> the. You know, it, it's it's a sermon in a film rather than. I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think too. When you read the Bible and how the Gospels unfold, it's one life story after another story. Jesus is out on a shoreline. He's in a town. He's in a countryside. People's lives and their needs are coming up to him, and he takes those opportunities to teach and and to preach, and he uses real-life opportunities to to show truth. And somehow in the church, we we become so sermonized or so type-A personality that we try to – condense God down to, okay, here's the four or five steps you need to do to get right with God. And the Bible doesn't do that. And, and so this film avoided that. When I wrote Heaven is for Real, the book, uh, one of the things the, the publisher really, really was bothered by is I didn't have a, a sinner's prayer at the end of the book like most typical Christian books do. And I said, I have, I, I have, I, I've been talking about God all the way through the book and how you can get right with God all the way through the book. I'm not going to put a cheesy prayer at the end of it. And we had a big fight about it. I said, this is my book. You can't make me do it. And I'm not going to. Yeah, and so I think both the book and the film, Randall Wallace agreed with me. You know, we need to tell this in real life, in real life time, in real life circumstances. And and um, these whole packaged little whitewashed cheesy prayers that some people really put on people, they don't realize they're turning people away. They're not drawing them to God by doing that. Right. Um, so we've got this... Uh one of my favorite scenes in the film next which is when colton runs up to the children's ward uh, to pray for a little girl yeah um, and it's sort of you know him taking control almost taking note from what he's seen you do is that something that colton did well colton you know that that whole specific scene with that girl didn't unfold just that way in real life but in many it was a compilation of probably many things you know colton went up to to all kinds of people and he would share with them and and obviously he knew things they didn't know and people that were hurting. Colton, you know, not only could he empathize because he hurt so bad before he died, but he, he he wanted to tell him, hey, you know, you get to go to heaven. And, and most people don't know that, but he did. And so, yeah, he's very, very sensitive in that way. Uh, did any people seem to have issues with the idea of there being a, a child, you know, who knows more about heaven than they do? <laughs> the biggest issue, that was me. You know, I was supposed to be the pastor. And the more that my son would challenge what I thought or what I'd been taught, and I'd get in the Bible, and I would try to yeah, sometimes. I would always prove him right. Okay. And um, so we've got a scene of you Googling near-death experiences um, before there's mm-hmm. an argument between you and Sonia over your focus on Colton's image of heaven. Was that a, yeah. a major argument and discussion between the family as to how much of his story to to believe and to take on and how much you know you should view it <laughs> and well i think you know at the time yeah we we, we you know we, we didn't have the public platform like uh maybe movie shows till after the book came out you know where so many people were asking us questions and by then colton's 11 but as we were struggling through it many times colton would start talking to me and like i said before uh sonia hearing about her daughter happened earlier than how the movie shows it at the end and she would get mad because so many times he'd start talking to me instead of her. Mm. And so most of the fights we had is, well, when's he going to start talking to me about this? <laughs> so, uh, but at the same time, um, you know, challenged both of us. But when we knew, we knew our son wasn't making this up. And so it was like, uh, I think it caused us both to, to grow 
Like when I went to college to study to be a pastor, there's no class. Hey, when your son almost dies and goes to heaven and comes back, this is how you figure out what, what happened. Or these are the questions you ask him. Neither of us were prepared for this. And yet at the same time, uh, we were humbled by it. We were shocked sometimes. But it, it created tension at times because, you know, many times my wife would get jealous because, well, how, why is he talking to you all the time instead of me? I'm his mom, you know. So uh, we just had, I don't know, kind of a dad-son connection through it. And I think it's wonderfully portrayed in um, Greg Kinnear's acting in the first scene where Colton mentions heaven, that the way that he portrays it as if he's responding to a child's made-up story, but with a sort of sense of wonder and interest in yeah. his eyes. And I don't know how he managed it, but that, that performance, especially in that scene, sort of, I found amazing. And, and I he did, like, a, he, like I said before, he did a great job. He really did. So did you spend quite a bit of time with Greg? Um, in no, uh, actually, uh, we, we Skyped for maybe a couple to three hours, like we're Skyping now. And he asked me a lot of questions. Uh, at that time, um, my church was on the radio. There were several videos, and he said he'd watched a lot about me. So he, uh, I don't know where he archived or got all these sources out there, but he got them and watched them about me. And you know, it's kind of interesting how many people will tell me, "Well, I studied you," and I'm like, "Oh boy, where'd you get your information at?" You know. And he, he said he studied me too. I can't tell you all the places he got it, but I remember my my uh, agent, my my, the writer that helped me write the book and my editor were at the movie uh, production when they were filming the church scenes and he was trying to portray me preaching. They all they all emailed me that night saying they were dying laughing because they were like, he's nailing you. So, I mean, while they were sitting there in the audience watching them film those things, they, they loved it. They thought this was great, yeah. Do you think it would have been harder for him to portray you if you were in the audience there as well? Oh, I don't know. I mean, he's a professional. That's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. An actor on his level can get in and out of character so well. Um, you know, the, the biggest comment I get about Greg Kinnear is, you know, well, the actor that played you in the movie sure looks a lot better than you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> probably you too, you know, but at the same time. Uh, uh, but he did a really good job. And um, I, I don't know. If, I don't think I would have rattled him because I was there a couple days while they were filming. And they were filming filming some fire scenes then, and they were filming uh, the the hospital scenes. And my being present didn't seem to phase him whatsoever. Um, and so then we've got the scene uh, with you and Colton in the fu uh, funeral where the first discussion about Pop uh, comes in. Yeah. And I suppose this is sort of the first personal connection to you as part of Colton's story. Well, you know... Pop was a huge loss for me, just like my, my daughter that we miscarried. And people ask, well, why does he remember those two so well? And I think it was just another gift from God touching hurts in my life, my wife's life. Uh, I was almost seven when I went to Pop's funeral. He got killed in a car wreck. And he, he, he was the person I idolized, and, and, and I spent so much time with until he got killed. And, and to find out that my son knows him and my, my granddad talked to him about him, that was huge for me. And then when he identifies a picture taken back in the 1940s, he'd never seen Pop, you know, and in the 1940s. And, and, and I think the whole information about Pop really dispels a lot of the excuses that some people make about drugs and chemicals playing tricks on your mind. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. He never met Pop, never saw that picture. Uh, there's, he didn't have any memories of Pop for his brain to play tricks on him. And so when he recognizes that picture and who Pop was... It really is just another kind of, I think, a slap in the face to the excuses man has tried to come up to dismiss some of this, this, uh, the experiences people have had. Um, and then we move on to a little bit of Nancy's story in the film, uh, with pictures of uh, her looking at pictures of her son Jacob, mm -hmm. and we then have you visiting her at his grave and the whole conversation, yeah. sort of about her concerns and upset about how Colton got to live and Jacob didn't. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's an incredible way of sort of portraying why people might view the story negatively, why, you know, yeah. why it could have a negative effect on some people, whereas other people look at it as a sign of positivity and of hope. And I think the... I, I meant to make notes of the, the speech uh, that Greg gives playing you in that 
scene, I think oh, it's yeah. just a well, wonderful way of it. Yeah, the, the whole... I think that was a... That fact surprised Randall, uh, Randall Wallace more than anyone we shared when we talked about it. When he asked me... You know, I also gave him... Of course, you could have gone online and there was like almost 9,000 reviews of my book on Amazon and he started reading through those and, and, and we, we were getting emails and letters all the time and he was surprised at how many people were upset at me. And upset at me with, well, why did God save your kids and didn't save mine? I mean, they were they were literally mad at me because mm-hmm. my kid got saved and they lost theirs. And he's like, how do you deal with that? I mean, is this true? I mean, I keep reading this, and I'm like, yeah, it's true. This is this is a sore subject for a lot of people. When we tell them about the miracle they did, because then they're mad, well, why didn't I get that miracle? And so even though Nancy's a compilation of several people, and she's he, he made that character up, uh, but she's representing one of the biggest challenges that came against us when we started talking about our film. Is other people who who were mad because they felt like they'd been gypped by God, you know, and uh, we we somehow got our prayer answered and they didn't get theirs answered. And so, you know, my my favorite line in the film is that scene at the cemetery where I say to Nancy, Nancy, uh, you know, when my son almost died in the hospital, a piece of me broke, and I don't know if it's fixed yet. You never have to apologize to me for talking about the broken parts that you carry. And, and if there's any message in Heaven is for Real that I hope people really catch in, in the movie, that's the one. I mean, to me, that was a huge message. Wouldn't church be great if people could say, this is where I'm questioning. This is where I'm hurting. Can we talk about it? And, and if that was okay, how much more could we get help and be helped not only by each other, but just being honest before God and say, God, you know what I'm struggling with. I'm just going to be honest with you about it. And just ask him to help us. Uh, so then we move on to the two sisters scene, which you said uh, took place slightly earlier yeah. on in the story. That, that would have been, you know, about, I would say when Colton first started talking to us about heaven, that would have been about a month to six weeks after he first started talking to about us while we're in the front room in the house. And he bounces in and talks about his, his sister in heaven. But boy, you talk about a moment. And I think the movie captures this. The peace that that gave to us was, the Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. And at that moment, we, we got to have some of that peace. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the things the movie has really done for people too, as well as the book. It helps share some of the peace. You know, heaven is not only real, but we think there's some things down here that are just not fixable. And on earth, they aren't. But in heaven, they get fixed. You know, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but in heaven you're, you're going to have a reunion. There's not going to be sin messing up your relationships anymore. Devil is going to be in hell. He's not going to be on earth, and he's not going to be in heaven. By the, I mean, up here, you're, this is where, this is the way I wanted it to be. And the devil ain't going to mess this up for you. And uh, I think, you know, the Bible also says we can't even imagine how good heaven is without that. And, and the fact that we get what's taken to us restored, uh, family members that, that we get to spend eternity with, we, we have no concept of what eternity means as people. We really don't. And um, I've, 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 I've dreamed many times about meeting my daughter, like my son says I'm going to. and uh, uh, It's been wonderful. And I think it's, it's amazing how much of what Colton says, you know, is proven in Scripture. Like, he wouldn't have had yeah. that... That grasp of understanding at three or four years old, the, the idea that... Not at all. My, my yeah. Sunday school and preschool program was not that good. <laughs> um, not at all. We've then got a scene where a radio presenter phones you and tells you to come to... And you tell them to come to the church to hear Colton's story, where we then see this story being told in a sort of... Um, Nope, the word's gone completely out of my head. Right, we, we we sort of see you preaching and telling the story the uh, yeah. to a much larger congregation than expected than before. Yeah. Was there a specific you know, I think, you know, like, sermon like that, or was it a little bit? Well, I think in you know the way the movie ends to me in, in that sermon and that message. Um, I thought it was put together very well because one, you obviously see the psychiatrist again and she's sitting there, you know, and she's not looked past. Matter of fact, 
you'll even see in the message, I make eye contact with her. And in the film shows it, you know. But she's not embarrassed. She's not pointed out. And the message is, did my son see Jesus? Yes, he did. And I know Jesus, that word, oh, man, it bothers some of you, doesn't it? But that's okay. He can handle you. He can handle your questions, and he can handle your doubts. And it's still pointed people, even though they have problems and issues. We live in a world today that if people, if you hurt their feelings or you say something they don't like, you're just supposed to shut up and be quiet. You can't tell them the truth anymore because their feelings are hurt. So you're, 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 you're now all of a sudden a bad guy. But in the movie, it doesn't do that. It says, okay, yeah, you're still okay. God still loves you, but Jesus is still who he is, and he still sits on the throne of heaven. And that's who took my son to heaven. And if you could just get to know Jesus, he wants to take you too. And it doesn't, it's not offensive, but it doesn't back off like so many people are screaming for us to do today. Don't you dare tell me the truth about your God. That, that makes me feel bad. So now you're hurting my feelings, so now you have to be quiet. And the movie, I think, shows a very healthy way to handle that. And yet it still doesn't ignore that, you know. Um, and it talks to people that, Hey, you know, love is what matters, and, and, and real love. I think, you know, what we call love today is basically lust redefined. But the Bible talks about love that makes commitment and makes sacrifices for either. You don't just don't swap partners here and there because you've fallen out of love. That's lust. And, and it talks about a family really, it shows a family who really loves each other, even though we have problems. There's no boyfriends. There's no girlfriends. But we're working through a huge crisis together. And... Um, how they even brought it together at the end, even in that message in the sermon, I think was a it was a wonderful message to leave with, you know, to, to sit there and think about it, to say, okay, this movie, it, it's talked about what my son experienced. And, and maybe you don't have all the pieces together. We don't expect you to. But God still wants to be with you. And, and if you have questions, that's okay. Jesus is still your answer, and he can handle your questions. I could think of a better way or a better message to send people out of the film with. Um, we then conclude on a short epilogue scene um, where Todd shows Colton the girl drawing Jesus and he recognises yeah. the image of Jesus and then we've got Sonia um, being pregnant with Colby uh, to conclude. Yeah. Which I think it's a nice little... Now that, that, was the, yeah, that was the biggest... Uh, if you want to know the biggest conflict in the movie, that was it. Um, they, they, the actor that they got to portray Jesus didn't look exactly like the picture. I mean, where are you going to find a person who looks just like a particular painting, right? Yeah. And so what uh, the, what Sony wanted Akian to do was to change the painting to look like the actor in the movie. Well, Colton refused. He's like, no way, Dad. I'm not going to let that happen. Akiana was a saint. No way. We are not changing the painting. That's who he is. So two children <laughs> said, no way. <laughs> Never going to do it. You can't make us change that painting. And they wanted you to see that painting for what it was. So they, they were like, well, how are we supposed to proceed with the movie? And it was actually my suggestion. Well, don't show Jesus' face in the movie. Hmm. And so they never did. They never did show his face until the end in the painting, because that was the one big conflict we had. And that's, that was the solution to it. Um, so we have a, sh a segment that we normally do on this show, which is film retitling. Now, obviously, since you were involved in the title of the book, you already have the title for it. But um, were there any other yeah. titles uh, that you had? For the film, for, or for the, well, for the book. Well, you know, when I was starting to write the book, I thought, you know, Heaven at Almost Four or whatever, and we were kind of kicking that around. But, of course, my daughter, this gets in the movie, and it's in the back of the book, too. Cassie had a very strong opinion about what her title of the book should have been. Yeah, my brother went to heaven and came back, but he's still no angel. <laughs> I mean, that was her. And I was like, yeah, he's still my bratty brother, basically, is what she wanted the world to know, you know? And uh, I think they did a good job of, of showing that in the movie. Colt was still just a little kid. You know, he, he wasn't perfect. He still isn't. He, you know, he's failed terribly sometimes, and he, he feels bad about it. And sometimes he's, he, he's done incredible. You know, I've been proud of him. You know, uh, what other teenagers uh, have all this media attention, and they're, they're trying to grow up, and then you're known for this being this heaven boy. 
And he's had some really big struggles, and, and Satan's attacked him many times, you know, through people lying about him, through his own failures and his own sins that he's had to work through. Um, but just because he had this experience doesn't mean God made him a different person. Uh, he just had a, a different set of uh, challenges now to live with when he came back here. And at the same time, but um, I think the biggest thing for titling the movie, uh, of course, they just came off the book title, but when we were titling the book, it was actually Colton that came up with the title of the book and the movie. Um, we were sitting in a coffee shop, and my editor asked Colton, as we were getting ready to write the book and getting started, she started talking to him, and she was like, well, Colton. And here's my 10-year-old at the time. So he's 10, and he's sitting there drinking a hot chocolate, and he's, she's like, what do you want people to know? And he just put his drink down and said, well, Debbie, I want people to know that heaven is for real. And that's where the title came from. So actually, Colton picked the title. Um, so just another short question is, uh, what involvement did Lynn Vincent have in the story? Was it just struct structuring it and turning it to your words? Like how much is oh, it she, your words? Well, she, uh, she worked with me on everything, obviously. And, and the thing about Lynn Vincent, which I have to give her just incredible thanks for, um, she's, she's written very many authors. Or, I mean, she's helped write many authors, and one of her commitments is, I got someone like you about me. So she came to Imperial. She she looked at Imperial. She drove around town. I showed her around town. She met the people. She met me. She met my family. We're friends today. I mean, uh, so she got to know me. She says, I want to sound like you. So she heard me tell the story. Matter of fact, as we wrote the book together, she decided, and I agreed, that the best thing for us to do was she would take me. So she'd ask me questions, and I'd start, because I was a preacher, I, I, I could tell stories, so I'd just start talking. And then she would take these tapes that she accumulated, and then she put them together in the order of the book. And um, so the words are mostly mostly all mine, uh, but she, she put them in such a way that I didn't know how to, how do you put all these events into yeah. a book form, and that was her skill. And the chapter to chapter, I mean, you sit down and try to read the book, you think, well, I can read one more chapter. Well, I can read one more chapter. And pretty soon you, you sit down in three to four hours and read the whole book. And that was her skill. I mean, she did a great job. Um, and as we conclude this episode, where can our listeners find you on social media or in person? <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't have a big social media presence, but you can find my website. It's uh, heavenlive.org. So heavenlive, L-I-V-E dot org. Uh, but there's also another book I've written, God is for Real, which is kind of after seven years of uh, uh, traveling and talking to people when Heaven is for Real, the book came out, people, of course, had many questions. And I got, finally, I guess it takes me seven years. Like it took me seven years to tell them Colton's story before we put it in a book form. Well, seven years of questions, and I wrote another book answering all these tough questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Some of the things that you've already brought up, you know, when people struggle with what, what is faith really supposed to be? And I think uh, uh, we, we just go on what God uh, taught us and, and what he wants us to answer to people. And, and I would encourage them, if they haven't read Heaven is Thrill, you know, it's a, to read Heaven is Thrill, I'd watch the movie first, then read the book. I, I really encourage people to do that because the little boy that plays my son, boy, Connor just nailed who Colton was. That little boy was my son. I mean, it's just amazing how God cast that kid. But after that, if, you, if you've read the movie, I mean, you watched the movie, you read the book, God is real. It's kind of like, well, what does God want from me now? And how can I put this together? And this is fireman taught speaking again, just like before. It's just matter of fact, but uh, uh, I think it really, you know, what do, I, what do I do with this? That's where God is real comes in. And it, it, it's, it's entitled, God is real, and he longs to answer your most difficult questions. Okay, and our listeners can find this show on Twitter at Please Be Tweeted. They can find it on Facebook, Please Be Seated, and uh, most other podcast platforms. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero, and everything else of mine is available at LukeAllen.co.uk. Uh, thanks so much, Todd, for coming on today. It's been really surreal for me, having known your story for so long, to be able to, uh, to speak with well, you about I, it. Well, I appreciate you doing this, and... Uh... And I understand from the background you've, you've tried to, to work on this for a while, so you're you're quite a diligent young 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 man there, Luke. I guess I was going back through yeah, the messages, and I think it was when I started this show about two years ago. I think I sent yeah. a message through, so it's yeah, <laughs> it's great to to finally be able to do this. Yeah, well, I'm, 
Can I pray for you, Luke? Yeah, yes, yes. God, I just want to lift up Luke. And, um, God, thank you for allowing us to, maybe this was just your right time. But God, we trust you. Um, I find it really interesting that a young man like this is inspired to, I feel led to do something that's different and yet so important today. So God, I pray you would give him favor. Help him grow in not only his wisdom and understanding of you, but just in his craft and in his trade and what he's doing. God, would you give him favor with more people that would listen and a greater uh, just a reach of people he could point towards you, he could uh, show them the truth about you. And God, I just pray that uh, as Luke... Uh, uh, continues to, to to grow his podcast. I just bind the enemy. God, I just pray that we know Satan would like to... Uh, he doesn't want this to happen. He doesn't want truth. He doesn't want the uh, podcast like this to be shared. Uh, and so, God, I pray for favor. I pray for blessing for Luke. God, would you give him the finances he needs? Would you give him the, the wisdom he needs? And give him the protection he needs. And all these things I just lift before you in the name of your Son, in the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, Amen. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been great fun. Thank you. Oh, you take care. Hey, nice to meet you, Luke. All right. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to this different, but hopefully special, interesting and informative episode of the Please Be Seated podcast. I'll be back next week with part two, where I'll go through some similar questions and ideas with Colton Burpo about his experiences with heaven and heaven is for real and hopefully that'll be an interesting listen thanks so much and goodbye please be seated is a luke allen podcast for more podcasts appearances and short films visit lukeallen.co.uk